Thank you for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card so we can get to know you better. Once again, thanks for joining us today. You go ahead and be seated. In just a moment, I'm going to get to a sermon. Uh, <clears throat> but the Holy Spirit of God is not a water faucet that you turn on and off when you're ready to deal with Him. And I believe right now the Holy Spirit of God is moving in power in this place. You can go ahead and give me the preaching lights. Bring the preaching lights up. There we go. I want to be able to see people. I can't see you. Now I can see you. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, as the Lord and Savior. I don't know why. Maybe, maybe this whole moment is just because there's one person in this room. You walked in here today and you are at the end. And you're just thinking, maybe, maybe, maybe I can find here. Listen, this church can't change you. This preacher can't change you. But the God of this book can. And listen... His name is Jesus. And 2,000 years ago, He loved you so much that He took on human flesh and became a man. God became a man, lived a sinless life. And on the cross, He took every sin you've ever committed, every sin I've ever committed or ever will commit, He took all of our unrighteousness on himself. And on the cross, Jesus died in our place for our sin. But listen, the good news is for you today, he did not stay dead. He rose again, defeating the power of sin in your life and my life. Defeating the penalty of sin. He rose again, and now you and I, by grace, can put our faith in Jesus Christ, and we can be born again. Although we're separated from God because of our sin, we can be forgiven and born again into a relationship with God, all because of Jesus. And I believe there's somebody, at least one today in this room, you need to hear that. And right now, before we even get to the sermon, right now, you need to give Jesus your life. So I'm going to ask everybody in the room, just bow your head for just another moment. If you're here today, nobody's looking around right now but me. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm that person. I'm here today and I don't know God. But I want to know God. I want to be forgiven. I want to know that I know Him. If that's you today, nobody's looking around right now but me. If that's you, just hold your hand up. Just hold it up. I want to see you. I see you. Let me see. Yeah, I see you. Somebody, I see you. Yeah, I see you, ma'am. Keep your hand up. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Yeah, I see you, sir. I see you, young man. Listen, listen. All right, you can put your hands down. Listen, right now, here's what I want you to do. Cry out to him. Just in your own heart, say, Lord, I know that I've sinned. God, I know that you want to save me. I know that you're the only one who can save me. 
right now, Jesus, I give you my life. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. And now say this. Say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now listen, here's what I want you to know. You just put your faith in Jesus. And because you put your faith in Jesus, your life has forever been changed. You have been born again into the family of God. You are now a loved, accepted child of the Father. And there's nothing you ever have to do to earn that. It's been given you because of Jesus. Who you are is because of Jesus. Who you will be is because of Jesus. And I want you to understand, you're in a room right now full of people. Every one of us had a moment just like you just had. It happened for me when I was a freshman in college in September of 1989. I did exactly what you just did. I cried out and Jesus changed my life. Pastor, you're telling me you're now perfect? No, I'm not perfect. Let me tell you what I am. I'm a changed man. I'm not all the man that I'm supposed to be, but I'm not the man that I used to be. I'm about to pray for you. Now, if you just prayed with me and gave your life to Christ, here's what's going to happen. I'm about to do what they actually asked me to do. I'm about to preach a sermon, all right? Hadn't done that yet. We're just talking about Jesus right now. But at the end of my sermon that I'm about to preach, we're going to have a response time where we have pastors all along the front down here. If you just gave your life to Christ today for the very first time, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. When we stand to sing in a few moments... I'll remind you, but I don't want you to wait on anybody else. I want you to leave your seat wherever you are and come right down here to one of these pastors. At the end of our service, you'll know when, I'll tell you, and you just tell them, I gave my life to Jesus today. We want to walk with you. We want to give you some material so that we can journey with you on this new relationship with Christ. If you're excited for these people that just gave their lives to Christ, let them know how excited you are. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Woo. <laughs> yeah, amen, amen. We got Kleenex. If anybody else needs them, I'm going to take the whole box. Don't you like it when God shows up and just does what God wants to do? Amen. Oh, that sounds great in the microphone, doesn't it? Mm. Amen. All right. God is good. Amen. Thank you, Lord. If you're a guest this weekend, uh, welcome to Hope. Uh, We want this to be known as a place in this city. When you need to meet God, this is where you come. We may not have the best speakers or the best music or the best anything else, but I want you to know we want this to be a place when you come here, this is a place where you can meet with God. You can meet with God. If you're a guest this weekend, for six weekends, we've been walking through a series called The Stressless Life. It's actually a series that's rooted and grounded in Scripture, but it, we've been walking through it in a way that was born out of a book that I released just a few weeks ago called that very same title, The Stressless Life, Experiencing the Unshakable Presence of God's Indescribable Peace. We've been doing it for six weekends. Originally, it was supposed to be an eight-week series. This week, as I was just before the Lord, I decided last weekend is going to be the end of that series. You say, there, wait a minute, there are two more topics in the book. Yeah, but you got them in the book, just read the book, all right? It's in there. The guy who wrote it's a good guy. You can trust him, all right? 
It's in the book. Uh, we're going to change over these next two weekends. Now, if you're in a small group and that small group is studying the stressless life, you're going to continue that for the next two weekends. So don't change that. You're going to keep rocking and rolling. But as I was preparing this week and just sitting before the Lord, God began to change my heart about what I wanted to do this weekend and next weekend. You say, why are we making a change? Here's what happened. I was sitting before the Lord this week and I realized that Wednesday of this week, this past Wednesday, begins my last 40 days that will finish on Sunday, May the 1st, preaching in the role of being the senior pastor here at Hope Church. We've already made that shift, but I, I committed to continue to preach in that role, to shepherd this congregation as the senior pastor through the pulpit through May 1st. So when, when God showed me and reminded me that Wednesday of this week began the last 40 days of shepherding this fellowship through the preaching of the word, God changed my heart about what I wanted to share with you in the messages that I have remaining. This weekend, next weekend, and then Easter Sunday, Easter weekend, and then the last weekend of April and the first Sunday of May will be the last four sermons that I will preach here in this role. And I'll continue to preach in the role of founding pastor a few times a year but for 21 years, it has been my responsibility to shepherd this fellowship through the preaching of God's word. And I have four opportunities left with that responsibility. And I sensed a strong impression from the Holy Spirit of God to take these last few weekends and go back to some of the core convictions that have made us who we are as a fellowship. And if you have your Bible, I want you to open it to a place of scripture that is very special. In February of 2001, I stood in my living room here in Las Vegas, Nevada, in front of a packed house of 18 people in my living room, literally a packed house, 18 people in my living room, and I asked them to turn to the passage of scripture that I'm about to ask you to turn to. And I shared with them some truths out of Acts chapter 1 that I want to share with you today under the heading, here was the title that I gave them because I looked into their eyes and I'd met each of them individually and here was the title, From a Frightened Crowd to a Faithful Church. Here were 18 people sitting in my living room who'd bought into this dream, this vision that God had given us to see a church birthed in Las Vegas, Nevada that would literally touch the ends of the earth. Now, it sounds audacious now, but it sounded really audacious with 18 people sitting in a living room. We looked at this passage of scripture. It's in Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we read the story of the early church and how God birthed his church here in the opening pages of the book of Acts and how God took a small group of people who, to be quite honest with you, were only described with one word and the word would be ordinary. There was nothing special about this group of people. They were not super influential. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of resources. They did not have a lot of education. They didn't have any ministry experience. My friend J.D. Greer says, never has a larger assignment been given to a less qualified group of people. Let's read in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father, for, for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I find it interesting that it's not a 21st century issue that the church has always wanted to confuse politics with kingdom expansion. Be careful, church. I say that to us. I say that to the church in America that we not allow our kingdom missiology to be so interwoven with our political ideology that we don't know where one stops and the other starts. It's what happened here in the early church. Here are the disciples being commissioned to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and they want to talk politics. Lord, is now the time you're going to overthrow Rome and let us be back in charge? Jesus, his response is pretty straightforward. Here's what he basically said, and then I'll read it to you in the text. He said, "Uh, excuse me, that's none of your business. Look at it. He said to them, it's not for you to know. Here's a modern translation of that. That's none of your business. Whom God puts in authority, when God puts them in authority, where God puts them in authority is not your business. Your business is to be men and women of God submitted to authority, carrying out a kingdom mission and vision in a world that needs to hear the message of Jesus. It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He said, but here's where you're to focus. You'll receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Now we could spend the next six weeks unpacking just those 14 verses. But what I want to do today is just give you kind of a 30,000 foot overview and extract four principles The same four principles that I shared with 18 people in my living room that shaped in many ways who we are as a fellowship. I want to share these principles with you because we sit here today as a church on the precipice of transition. If we want to, we can look at that and be afraid. If we want to, we can look at that and say, oh, what's going to happen next? Or... Or we can do what the people in the book of Acts did and those 18 people in my living room did. We can run to our Father and trust Him and enjoy the greatest days of our fellowship in the future. Four things. Number one, they had a faith that produced obedience. Let me say it another way. They trusted God and they did what God said. Now, I know that sounds simple, but in the world we live in today, that's radical. 
They simply listened for God to speak, and when God spoke, they did what God said. You say, where do you see that? Well, look back at verse number four. It says, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem. Now, you have to understand the context. Jerusalem was the scene of the crime. You do know what had just happened 40 days earlier in Jerusalem. 40 days earlier in Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem had lined the streets in response to the person of Jesus, and here was their declaration, crucify him. Jerusalem to the early church was a place of hatred. We see Jerusalem now as a holy city, a place that we want to go to to visit, to see where Jesus walked. But to the people in this context, Jerusalem was where their Savior had just been executed. They were afraid of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a place of violence and hatred and oppression and persecution. And yet the Bible tells us in verse 12, they went to Jerusalem. <laughs> that tells us a few things about these people. Number one, it tells us they didn't make their decisions based on their feelings. You know how I know that? Because Jerusalem didn't feel good. <laughs> like they were afraid of Jerusalem. They didn't make their decisions based on their opinions. I promise if you'd gathered up this people on the hillside and said, hey, we're going to pass out index cards and we'd let everybody write down the top three cities where we'd like to go begin our new movement called Christianity. Let me tell you what one city wouldn't have made anybody's list. I'll take that back. There'd have been some sarcastic guy, probably Peter in the group that wrote it down. <laughs> Jerusalem, right. If Jerusalem made anybody's card, here's the way it would have been written. Anywhere but Jerusalem. They didn't make their decisions based on their circumstances. You ever heard anybody use this logic to make a decision? Well, the door was just closed. Let me tell you what Jerusalem screamed. Closed door. As a matter of fact, they literally nailed it shut. And yet the Bible says, the gospel writer Luke tells us, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. <laughs> Why would they do that? There's only one explanation. It's what God said. Steve Addison wrote a book called Movements That Changed the World. Listen to what he said. Movements that change the world may eventually come to possess resources, learning, and power, but they do not begin with these things. Missionary movements begin with men and women who encounter the living God and surrender in loving obedience to His call. You know what that is? A group of people that said, we have faith. We're going to trust God and do what He said. Listen, Hope Church, as we continue together on this journey, celebrating all that God has done in the past 21 years, but looking forward to all that God is going to do in the next several decades, we must be a people who are willing to listen to the voice of God. And when God speaks, we say yes. When it makes sense and when it doesn't make sense. When it's comfortable and when it's uncomfortable. When it's easy and when there's great cost. We must be a people that trust God and do what God says. It's been a part of who we've been since we began as a church. 
We launched in September of 2001. We were taking our first international mission trip in December, two and a half months after we launched as a church. We sent a team overseas to South Africa to work in a couple of countries there, South Africa and Zambia. And in, in October, November, we had the missionary we were going to partner with in our church. Our church is just about eight weeks old. And, 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 and when you're an eight-week-old church plant, anybody ever been in the room been a part of an early church plant, you are desperate for resources. Like you are literally living out of the offering basket every week. We had this missionary in our church. He was speaking, and as he was speaking, I was sitting on the front, and God deeply convicted me that that morning we should give the entire offering to the missionary. We're eight weeks old. Like, we didn't have a savings account. We lived out of what came in every week. But I just knew God had made it. So I stood up in front of our church and I said, listen, I know y'all going to think I'm crazy. I know we're brand new. I know we're only eight weeks old. But, but God has called us to, to be about doing what he says. And I believe today we're supposed to give this offering. And the people celebrated and rejoiced. And listen, we took up an offering. It was the largest offering we'd received in eight weeks. <laughs> we went to lunch. I'm trying to rejoice. <laughs> missionary and I and my wife are sitting at lunch. And you can ask my wife, I'm not making this up. A couple comes over to our table, lays down an envelope, says, Pastor, listen, we got so caught up in what was going on today, we totally forgot to give you this. I said, what are you talking about? They said, we're visiting from a church out of state that wants to be involved in what you're doing here. And our church took up an offering, and they asked me to give it to you today. We got so caught up in what was happening in the church service, we totally forgot. Open the envelope. And it was more money than we'd given away that morning in the offering. Here's what I'm telling you. Listen, we've seen God do. That was eight weeks old. We've seen God do it over and over and over. If you'll simply trust God and do what God says. But here's the reality. This principle demands a willingness to listen for the voice of God. And there's one of the reasons why we as the church in America are not seeing God move in power. We got everything so programmed into our system that we don't need to hear the voice of God anymore. We know the plays we want to run. We know the strategies we have. We know the programs we want to implement. And we've lost the ability to simply listen for the voice of God. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, faith comes by what? Say it out loud. Faith comes by you ever heard anybody say, well, I'm not sure what God wants me to do, so I'm going to step out in. That's not faith. That's presumption on God, and it's a dangerous way to live your life or lead your family. Faith comes by hearing. When I hear God speak, then I step out in faith, trusting him. They had a faith that produced obedience. Number two, they had a passion that produced unity. Verse 14 is an interesting verse. It's a phrase in Scripture that it doesn't necessarily communicate in the ESV the way that I wished it did. But here's what it says. All these with one accord. And that's not a Honda they were driving around in. It's describing the unity that existed in the church. It, mean, it meant that everybody in the church had all wrapped their hearts around one thing pastor are you saying today that we don't have passion in the church oh no 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 we we got passion the problem is everybody's got their own set of passion 
Some are passionate about political agendas. Some are passionate about social agendas. Some are passionate about certain ministry agendas. Certain are pa- some are passionate about certain creative elements. And because we all have passions in different areas, rather than uniting us, our passion divides us as the body of Christ. But in the early church, there was one thing that rose to the top, and everything else came under that umbrella. What was that one thing? Well, to understand it, you got to go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Look at verse 3. It says, Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the what? Say it out loud. Kingdom of God. Here's Jesus, his last 40 days physically on planet earth. And the Bible says for 40 days, he only talked about one thing. It's almost as if he said, if you forget everything else I've taught you in three and a half years of public ministry, do not forget this kingdom of God. Say those three words out loud. Kingdom of God. Shouldn't surprise us, Jesus, in another place in Scripture, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, we are to seek first the what? Kingdom of God. And when he said that, he's not suggesting that we put it in our top ten list and pray about it. He's suggesting, he's commanding us that everything in our lives is to revolve around this thing of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? There's the real tragedy. In much of the American church today, we don't even know what the kingdom of God is, much less to say it's the number one thing in our lives that everything else revolves around. Let me give you, for sake of time, a definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. The kingdom is the big picture of what God is doing in the world. You do understand that as we sit here on a Sunday at Hope Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, that God is alive and at work all over the world. And when God birthed our church, he birthed our church to join in his activity. That's why from the beginning, one of our core values has been this phrase, kingdom expansion. Read this out loud off the screen with me. You ready? One, two, three. We seek to join in God's, king, in God's activity in Las Vegas, the West, and the world. Why is that a value? Why is that something we're so passionate about? Because it's what the early church was passionate about. And this passion for the kingdom united them above everything else in their life. At Hope Church, we've lived out this passion for the kingdom predominantly around three words. Here are the three words, people, planting, and partnerships. People, planting, and partnerships. You say, what does that mean? People. What did we say the kingdom is? It's God's sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. God is in the life-changing business. We saw it this morning, amen? We saw it happen just a few moments ago. Hope Church, always remember, we are not a holy huddle simply for believers to come together until Jesus returns. We are a rescue mission for those in this city and around the world whose lives are lost and broken and in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must be people that take the gospel to this city and to the cities of the earth. Why? Because the only hope for salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I be transparent for just a minute? I get real, real frustrated. You want to get on my bad side real quick when somebody comes up to me. And listen, people say this all the time. Well, Pastor, I think our church is just getting too big. It's interesting to me. They always draw that line somewhere after they got in. That's selfish. 
Listen, we never set out to be a big church. I don't care how big we are. But here's what I do care. That every, every one of the two million people in Las Vegas who if they died today would enter a crisis eternity. Every one of those two million people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's why God birthed our church. We're never going to turn them away. We're never going to say, well, we got enough. No, we're going to go after every lost person in the city of Las Vegas. But then, then planting, one church can't reach a city by itself. We have to multiply the church. That's why at Hope Church we say, if you join this church, we're going to do everything we can to talk you into leaving. Why? Because we want to send. God didn't call us to just gather. He called us to send out for the expansion of his kingdom to the ends of the earth. Third words, partnerships. We believe in partnering with others locally and globally. The kingdom of God runs on the rails of relationships. The early church wrapped its heart around this passion for the lost, this passion for the kingdom to be expanded in cities and nations all over the world. And it must be who we are. Number three, they had a desperation that produced prayer. How many of you believe God has a sense of humor? If you don't believe that, you're wrong. (laughs) Where do you think you got yours from? Maybe that's the problem. You don't have one. But we got our sense of humor being created in the image of God. Did you know some of the funniest verses in all the Bible are in the text I read for you this morning? But you didn't get the joke because none of you laughed when I read it. So I'm going to give you another shot. Look back at it, verse number 9. Verse 9. And when he'd said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. You didn't get it. You heard what he said? And when he'd said these things, what did he just say? Well, you got to go back to verse 8. Here's what he said in verse 8. Okay, everybody, lean in. Here's the plan. Jesus gathered his disciples said, come on, come on, come on, come on. Lean in, lean in. Sit up on your seat. Lean in. Here's the plan. I want you to start the movement where they hate you. You're going to receive power. Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem. Lean in. Here's the plan. You're going to start where they hate you. Okay. Then you're going to go where you hate them. The Jews hated the Samaritans. He said, we're going to start in Jerusalem where they hate you. Then you're going to go to Judea and Samaria. Those people you call the dogs, that's where you're going there. So you're going to start where they hate you. Then you're going to go where you hate them. And then you're going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. What is that? Places in the world that you don't even know exist and don't know how to get there. So here's the plan. Lean in. You're going to start where they hate you. You're going to go where you hate them. Then you're going to go that you, where you don't know exist and you don't know how to get there. And then... He starts floating. And not like Las Vegas Levitation Act. Like he goes, gone. Hey, did... Did somebody write down what he just said? said? And I believe if what hadn't happened next hadn't happened, that you'd have found 120 skeletons right there with their jaws hanging. They'd all died standing right there. But look what happened next. Look at it. Look at it. Verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven. What does that look like? And then Jesus 
says to two angels, would you go down there and move them? You say, you're making that up. Look at it. Read the text. And while they were gazing intently into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, what are you doing standing here looking up into the sky? Imagine Jesus gets back to the right hand of the Father after giving this mission. He looks down, and there they all stand there looking up. He says to two angels, would you go down there and tell him to move along? And listen, everything changed with the next sentence. Look what they said. This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven. Oh, hear the words. Will... Come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And when they heard those words with great joy, they ran down off of that mountain. They ran back into the city of Jerusalem. They ran up into the upper room. They slammed the door and they pulled out a whiteboard, began to do a demographic survey of how they could build relational bridges into their community. No, 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 no. What does it say they did? They got down on their face. And the Bible says it this way. They devoted themselves continually to prayer. They understood if God is not God, we are sunk. We cannot do this in our own strength. We cannot do this in our own power. We cannot do this in our own resources. The only hope we have, God, is that you show up and you do what only you can do. And these people grabbed a hold of the altar of God and did not let go until God showed up and did what only God could do. It's one of the reasons why we're not seeing God move in America today. And in churches all over America... We've relegated prayer to moments of transition when we move people onto and off of a stage. We don't pray to pray anymore. We just pray to change the set. That's why at Hope Church, man, here we carve out eight to ten minutes. Pastor Edward led us today in a scripture where we just walk through a text of scripture and we cry out to God together. Do we do that as a way of formality? No, we do that because we're desperate. And it's how God began this church. Some of you have heard this story. Some of you have not. You're new to hope, but I'm going to tell it again anyway. I want you to hear this. I want you to know where we came from. When I got here to Las Vegas, Nevada, my first week on the telephone field, I got a telephone call. On the other end of the line was a lady from the Philippines named Letty Peralta. Letty said, Pastor, can I tell you a story? I said, Letty, I don't know anybody in Las Vegas. You can tell me any story you want to tell me. She said, Pastor, I'm from the Philippines, moved to Hong Kong to make money for my family that was very poor. She said, while living in Hong Kong, I met an American family. She said, I became a part of that family, serving that family over time. And so much so that when that family relocated back to America, I moved with them from, uh, th- from Hong Kong back to the United States of America. We got all the paperwork, and I moved with them as a part of their family. She said, we settled in a suburb north of Atlanta, Georgia, called Woodstock, Georgia. She said, I visited a church called the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia. I heard a preacher named Johnny Hunt preach the gospel in the kingdom of God like I'd never heard it before. But she said, then my family got uprooted again, and we relocated 2,000 miles across the country to Las Vegas, Nevada. She said, Pastor, I've been in Las Vegas for a year and a half. 
And I've prayed every single day that the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia would start a church in Las Vegas, Nevada. Would you please tell me who sent you here? Now, two weeks earlier, my family loaded everything we owned in a green Dodge minivan in the parking lot of the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, having been sent out of that church to plant a church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and none of us even knew Letty Peralta existed. I'm not trying to be super spiritual, but listen, as I look back over 21 years, people call, they'll write, they'll ask me, man, how did you do it? How, how did it happen? Listen, here's how it happened. One lady from the Philippines grabbed a hold of the altar of God, and she didn't let go until God showed up and did what only God can do. Listen, about 2013, lady got married and moved down to Florida. I almost packed up and moved with her. I felt the glory of God had just departed. But here's what that means. God wants to raise up some more Lady Peraltas in this room. We're going to fuel the engine of God's activity through this fellowship in the decades to come by grabbing a hold of the altar of God and not letting go until God does all that He wants to do in and through us. Here's the last thing, and I'm done. They have the Spirit that produced power. We don't understand what happened in Acts chapter 2. None of us really will this side of eternity. But here's what we know for sure. In Acts chapter 2, the church was empowered by the Holy Spirit like it never had been before. You know what we need today? We need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. Like what we saw earlier in the service. You can't explain that. That wasn't in the program. That wasn't in planning center. Like that wasn't a part of the agenda. God just showed up, did what God wanted to do. A bunch of people got saved. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Amen? Listen, those kinds of moments should not be abnormal. You see, normal Christianity has become so subnormal, normal Christianity appears to be abnormal. The activity of God, the movement of the Holy Spirit, is the normality of the pattern of what we see in the early church. May we be a place and a people who see that again. Let's pray. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that as only you can, you would take these truths and and burn them, sear them into our hearts. But nobody looking around right now, Here's that moment in the service I talked about earlier. We're going to have some pastors go ahead and come and join me here along the front. If you are one of those people who earlier in this service, you raised your hand, you said, I need Jesus, and you prayed with me to receive Christ. Listen, in just a moment, I'm going to invite everybody to stand. Some people are going to be coming here to the front to pray. We need to make sure we got our volunteers ready here, Michelle, for the end of response time. But if you prayed with me and you received Christ, I want you to come to one of these pastors as soon as we stand. You come to one of these pastors and just say, I I gave my life to Jesus. That's all you got to say. If you forget that, just say Jesus. If you forget that, just stand there. They'll know why you're there. Maybe you didn't pray with me earlier, but you'd like to receive Christ now. You can come to one of these pastors right now. We'll have somebody sit down with you and show you from a Bible how you can give your life to Christ. You just respond to him. There's some of you here today who are already Christians and and God's convicted you. You just want to come and get in one of these altars and begin to cry out to God on behalf of this fellowship for God to continue to move in power. 
Maybe there's a burden in your job, your health, your family, your marriage with your children. And you just want to pray with a pastor. We're here. We'd love to pray with you and for you. The altar is open. Our pastors are here. You respond today. What is God saying to you? Holy Spirit of God, move in power in this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let's stand together. Our team's going to lead. You respond right now. You come to one of these pastors right now. You come.